The Bloody Elbow Podcast Network is moving. That's right. We're moving from SoundCloud and YouTube to Substack. It will still be available through your current iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher subscriptions, but the main home of the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network will now be on Substack. While most of our audio content will remain free, we'll be asking listeners to please get a paid subscription to support the shows, which are now ad-free. Please give us your email and we'll send you notices and summaries of every new episode. Become a paid subscriber and get bonus segments only available to those who've pledged their support. Sign up at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com today. Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, your host, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about... The UFC going, uh, event going down this week in Kansas City, Missouri at the T-Mobile Center. A real quality fight night card from the UFC featuring a featherweight headliner between Max Holloway and Arnold Allen in the main event. We're talking about the prelims right now, and it is a reasonably stacked prelim card as well, at least with one absolute top contender flyweight fight that should be on yep. the main card. A great undercard in part due to promotional malpractice. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know what? I'll take it. It's yeah. top to bottom. A lot of interesting stuff here. And then, uh, yeah, some other some other performances, some other fighters, some other fights on this undercard that should at least look pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Starting out with, uh, you know, a couple of our favorite featherweights. Yeah. Bill Algio and TJ Brown. Yeah, this is um, a cool fight between uh, featherweights who are not known for their incredible physicality. Mm-hmm. Uh, your weird, scrappy, deep and well-rounded uh, sort of featherweights. And you know, you know, I you say a couple of our favorites. It's really me that likes T.J. Brown. Yeah, you're the T.J. Brown guy. I'm I, I'm I'm a fan of Bill Algio. But... Who doesn't like Bill Algio? The guys. Yeah. Are, very fun fighter. Um, and, you know, TJ Brown always like finds at least one round in every fight in which uh, he impresses me. Mm-hmm. Or he will come up with some really slick counters or makes just some sort of uh, some sort of tactical or strategic adjustment based on what happened earlier in the fight. Um, and, you know, the problem is, is like this usually comes at the cost of him having lost the beginning of the fight to figure all these things out. Yeah, uh, even or even the first two rounds or the first yes. two and a half rounds. Yeah, and he will be in there and be uh, scrappy and competitive basically no matter what and frequently against much better, uh, much better uh, f- fighters who are much better physically equipped. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's the cost that all of his impressive, classy adjustment adjusting comes comes at. And um, 
you know, I think it this might not be a time where that works out for him. Because Bill Algio will also make adjustments down the stretch of a fight, but definitely starts hot. Yeah. Um, and tries to put the pressure on his opponent and start testing them everywhere right away. The only thing that potentially concerns me uh, on Algio's behalf here is that he is sometimes a bit vulnerable to wrestling. Brown is Brown's a super well-rounded fighter, and if wrestling is the way he thinks he's going to win the fight, he will absolutely try to press that advantage. Um, what was the recent fight in which it was like defined by his dogged... Uh, Eric Silva. Yeah, Eric Silva. He just went for takedowns constantly. Yep. And did a really great job of controlling those positions and uh, just slowly cranking up the pressure. But Aljo has usually gotten away with his lackluster takedown defense by being a really dogged scrambler. Yeah, really hard to hold down. Or even when he's on his back, yeah, he usually tends to find some some way to make to create offense. Yeah, Aljo is just hyper aggressive everywhere and. Honestly, I think that like losing a close competitive split to Andre Feely is more impressive than anything TJ Brown has ever done. Yeah, <laughs> it was a good result. I thought Algio comported himself extremely well. And uh, I am going to pick Algio here. I just think he is going to start too strong and put for put too, too much information in the TJ Brown computer for him to make the necessary adjustments in time. Yeah, I, I agree. It feels like the kind of fight where Algio starting strong doesn't walk him into anything dangerous enough. Yeah. That he then has to back off or reconsider his approach or anything like that. Not that he does often anyway, but like, I mean, even fighting somebody like Joe Anderson Brito, yeah. who is just a physical mountain of force. Yeah. Algio just was like, well, I'm just going to go after you and keep putting pressure on you until you break. And maybe TJ Brown won't break, but it's hard to see him also putting together enough consistent damaging offense that he steers the fight back in his direction. Right. So. And Algio is also going to have a uh, not insignificant height advantage. Yeah. So while they, they essentially have the same wingspan, he is going to be functionally the longer fighter. And he is um, really active with his kicking game as well. He was definitely competing with Andre Feely at kicking range. And I just think that is only going to help him rack up damage in the early going. He's just yeah. going to be touching TJ Brown while he's still figuring out his defensive responses at a range where uh, Brown can't touch him back. Yeah, that sounds, that all sounds very reasonable here. Should be a really fun fight though, because oh, yeah. Brown, you know, he's, he has been finished and he can get finished early, but if you don't finish him right away and Algio is not the world's, uh, biggest striker out there. He's not actually never knocked somebody out early, in fact, yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, if you don't finish Brown early, he rallies. He will find avenues to make this a, f a fight. He'll make it a scrap. So 
This should be one of those fights that starts. I, I expect it to start out with a lot of success from Algio and to end up just being an all out war. You know, I'm curious what uh, the Wikipedia says Bill Algio over Herbert Burns. It just says TKO retirement. On Tapology, it says exhaustion from damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a very unusually specific. It was uh, that, though. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Retirement is how those results. TKO retirement is the f- typical uh, yeah. vernacular there. But yeah, TJ Brown, for as much as he can't get hurt, he has been finished plenty of times. Uh, there are also many, many instances of him getting really badly hurt. And uh, he stays extremely calm in those high pressure situations. And yeah, like you said, if you can't finish him, he will come back and keep finding ways not just to survive, but to continue testing you. Yep. Something I really like about him, but it, it, it you know, Bill Algio just looks like a, an unfriendly style matchup. Yeah. He's somebody who can meet that all the way through. Right. You know, you, you come after Bill Algio in round three and Bill Algio will still be there fighting tooth right. and nail in round three. Uh, Brown opened at plus 117, is currently at plus 169. Algio opened at minus 129, is currently at minus 190. Not terribly surprised that those odds both opened close and are widening as they go. Algio is much more of a fan favorite, so mm-hmm. he's going to attract the bet. All right, that brings us to a flyweight bout, Brandon Royval, Matthews Nicolau. And, I mean, this is a top, top-tier fight. I don't yep. know what it's doing down here. In it a is. just world, this would be a fight night main event, uh, Yeah, you know, on its own. The very least, it should be co-main, because you are warming these people up, one of them, for a title shot. Uh, yeah, that's some, a lesson the UFC has somehow just never learned. Yeah. Like, why does nobody know who Demetrius Johnson is? He's got all these great wins. You know, it's like, well, because no one knows who the fuck any of these people are. Because yeah. nobody sees them, you idiots. You haven't given anybody a chance. You have the fact to... that the fact that t- title fights and champions they gain their relevance and their uh fan interest by um what was what was Pat Wyman's old term? The, the law of conservation of hype, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Hype doesn't die. It gets passed from one person to the next. That is how fight promotion works. You kill an old popular fighter and you eat a little bit of his popularity and you make it part of your own. Uh, you gain recognition from that. And so for a guy as dominant as Demetrius Johnson or as fun as Brandon Moreno to continue gaining a following, people need to know who he's fighting. Yeah. And you do not achieve that by just burying all the top contenders on the goddamn prelims of a fight night card of a fight night card. Like if this were the featured prelim on a pay-per-view. Okay. You know? Yeah. And that it would, would be perfectly acceptable for it to be co-main to a fight as interesting as Holloway Allen. Yeah. But really like fights like this are fight night main events. Yeah. This should be, this should be a five round fight. Yeah. Not that it's going to need anything where, near that, but it should be. Yeah. So the dynamic, I mean, the, the fun, the thing is like Royville, he's just so <laughs> the guy he's forever going to be yeah. like, 
God bless him. I hope nobody ever really gets to him and tries to make him capital T technical because they'll spoil the whole fight. He they'll made spoil some gestures fight. at it in that Bontarine fight, and he's like, you know what? I'm Brandon Royville. Yeah. Ditch this leaf blower bullshit. <laughs> I'm going to start going crazy again, which I was pleased to see. Yeah, because Royville is under the deeply, deeply mistaken idea that he is a masterful striker. Yes. And it's kind of awesome that he's under this mistaken idea. Yeah. Because it just leads him face first into opponents where he will just assert himself until they go away. And mm-hmm. yeah, or or they don't, but that's his whole thing is that he's going out there and he's just like I can beat your ass standing. I'm going to try. And it doesn't matter how little success he's having. doesn't matter how hard he gets hurt or hit or how much he gets hurt. He is going to try and beat you up standing. And then inevitably it tends not to work that well. He rarely knocks somebody out. Yeah. But he often can overwhelm people to the point that they have to wrestle him. And then mm-hmm. you see the actual really good part of Brandon Royville's game, which is that he's just an electric scrambling grappler. Yeah. Classic flyweight shit. Yep. And um, I think that's going to be a miserable, miserable way to fight Matthews Nicolau. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. Makes me feel better about favoring him. Because cause to me, Nicolau looks like um, the Kai Car france fight with grappling. Yeah. Right? And, like, if if Kai Car france had had that switch up in his pocket, Nicolau is a, a even more of a counterpuncher than that version Kai Car france was. Yep. Um Bigger, rangier, can compete at the range that Roy. Because a yeah. lot of what Royville's secret to his striking success is that I don't also don't think he has any knowledge of is that he he's kind of a rangy flyweight. So yeah. and he's tall and imposing too. Like, yeah, that was definitely uh, another advantage. Uh, uh, that's another advantage for Nicolau over Car, Car France. But I think having the wrestling component to his counter game is huge. Yeah, yeah, it gives him something to go to. So that he doesn't just have to sort of accept a re- relentlessly chaotic series of exchanges with Royville, which, uh, you know, Cara France was winning most of mm-hmm. uh, until he just ultimately got overwhelmed. But, yeah, if he had had some other kind of something to interrupt Royville's role, it, it might have made all the difference. I mean, we've seen it in other fights for Brandon Royville. You yep. know, he, he fought Brandon Moreno and Alessandra Pantoja. Yep. And he tried to overwhelm them and they caught him coming in. And then he kept coming and they switched it up with grappling and they both just out grappled him. Yeah. And to a lesser extent, uh, Bontarine with a very stripped down version of that basic game. But it was like counter right hand and counter shot. Yeah, counter right hand, reactive takedown, and granted that was that was Royville's ill-advised uh, pass at being a technical fighter. Yeah, makes it a weird fight in a lot of counts, but uh, it still worked pretty damn well for Bontarine to the to the point that I I thought he actually won that fight, but it did prevent Royville from overwhelming him despite it being a really low output fight from Bontarine. Yeah, 
and Nicolau is he's just a huge he's a huge striker on the counter. Like yeah. his counter striking is really excellently timed. Yep. So I think more than most fighters that Royville tries to march down and overwhelm, he's going to find counters hard to come by here. Yeah. Or he's going to find rather, he's going to find it swarming hard to come by here. He's going to find counters hitting him really hard. And if he does switch it up and if he, or if he forces Nikolai to switch it up, Nikolai was just that little bit extra level of grappler that, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he can handle tangling with Royville on the mat. Yeah, he's a very solid positional grappler. And yep. there, there's enough of Pantoja's ground game in Nikolau for me to to think he can he can handle Royville switch ups and in fact be the one who has the key switch ups himself. Yep. Uh I just want to just add that uh I always mention this, but it's this is just the best style matchup there is mm-hmm. in combat sports. Swarmer versus counterpuncher. Yeah. The guy who waits for the opponent to come with him against uh, to come to him against somebody who knows only knows how to do that. Yep. Uh, it's just like guaranteed fireworks this style matchup, and I it's don't an think awesome I think yeah for a guy like Nikolau, these these dyed in the wool counterpunchers can be um, can appear really reluctant to engage, but it's just because he only wants to engage on his terms. Yeah. And he is going to be getting his terms. In fact, he will have no choice but to accept the engagements because his game is designed to invite a fighter like Royville in. And Royville, uh, he is going to RSVP. Yeah, yeah. This this man is always, he's got a plus one prepared. That's he right. Has, <laughs> he has like a, you know, bright, he's the kind of dude who would own like a bright pink tuxedo. <laughs> just for like showing up as the loudest guy at any party because he's going to be at every party. Yeah, he brings like one of those, one of like the off-year pairs of New Year's glasses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's like 2022 and they weren't quite sure where to put the other eye. Yeah. There's only the one zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely Royville. Uh, it, it's a fantastic, classically entertaining style matchup. Yeah. But uh, I just think Nicolau is... A cleaner, he's he's just a better fighter than Royville, I think. Yeah, it's a guaranteed fun fight. Like, what is it doing down here? It is guaranteed. You booked a guaranteed fun fight that could yeah. crown the next top contender. It's not just that it's relevant. Yeah, it's like it's 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 going to be a banger. Yeah, why do this? Royville opened at minus one four or plus one forty rather. And it's currently at about plus 180. And Nicolau opened at minus 160 and is currently at minus 190. So, yeah, that makes sense. Nicolau should be favored. It's a good style of fight for him, but it'll be so much fun. All right, that that brings us to the... If, if Royville versus Nicolau was the awesome... Very easy to call, very easy to predict fight. Mm-hmm. This is the shit impossible to predict fight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Zach Cummings against Ed Herman. Two no, men you're... that... Most... It, is, it is not 2010, folks. Yeah, it's not right. 2010. At which point, even then, this would have been a prelim. <laughs> it It is 2023. 
both of these men seemed like they would have and should have just retired. Cummings had a terrible back injury. Ed Herman lost a finger and is older than God. Um, But they're still here. And it's a great, I mean, it's the right fight to book if you've got both these dudes around. Sure. Two crusty old guys. The big, the um, big question here is really just Zach Cummings light heavyweight. Yeah, he's fought at welterweight before, hasn't he? Oh yeah, he came into the UFC as a welterweight. Yeah, and then he was middleweight for a little while. Yep. Um. Yeah. I mean, probably just at his age and after his injuries. I mean, the man is thirty-eight. Yeah, and he had a bad back injury. He's probably put on. You know, he's he's got that. Uh, Jake Collier. Yeah. He's probably got a little bit of that Jake Collier to Jake, him. Jake Cuddlier. What would Zach Jake. Cummings be? Um, the pa- Pack Cummings or uh, uh, I don't know. I'll come up with something. Zach Gainings. <laughs> I don't know. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Um, yeah, it is. It, it's, you know, Ed Herman has just been the same dude his entire career. Yeah, 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 it really. The big question mark is Zach Cummings, not just the new weight class against a guy who, and Ed Herman, who is not a small light heavyweight. Um, it's very difficult to know what to expect from Cummings. Like, if I removed the weight class thing from it, if I removed the injury and the resulting, you know, two-year-plus layoff for Cummings and just looked at it as a style matchup, I, I would think he would be very competitive and possibly favor him to win. Yeah. He's a solid wrestler who is a very patient counterpuncher. Mm-hmm. And Ed Herman is nothing if not slow and predictable with his striking. Yep. Um, I would expect Cummings to just basically have a slow-paced fight where he finds the bigger shots. Um, but uh, I have no idea what to expect from him. It can't be good. I mean, it might be, but it, it why why would it be? Why would it yeah, be good? Yeah. Why would he look good? But Ed Herman hasn't looked good <laughs> in ages either. No. He made he made uh Ed Herman last time out. Well, the th- the weird thing is is that like he was on a three-fight winning streak before he lost to Alonzo Menafield. Yeah. But that was 2 years ago and he made Menafield look confident. Yeah. In that fight. Yeah, Menifield somehow the only fight in his career where he got to like stunt on somebody. Yeah. Because uh, Ed Herman is just so slow, but Cummings isn't a fast man either. No. Um, you know, Herman's got some moves in the clinch. He's going to be the naturally bigger man, but Cummings has honestly been quite good in the clinch throughout his career. <sighs> I, I mean, I, what do you pick on? I have no idea. Yeah, I think I'm just going to pick Zach Cummings. And the basic math I'm doing is that, uh, sure, middleweight is bad, but light heavyweight is worse. And Ed Herman does not fit the bill of your typical light heavyweight. He's not super fast and super powerful. So the danger that I would think of for Zach Cummings moving up uh, is not there. I'm just going to assume he's going to be the faster guy in a both men will throw one strike at a time from a middle distance and just kind of pot shot at each other for three rounds. Yeah. 
I guess I'll go with you. I, I yeah. have absolutely no reason to pick one or the other. Honestly, I no. just don't know. Odds on the bout, Cummings is the favorite pretty clearly at this point. Opened at about minus 240 and is currently at minus 215. So those odds getting getting closer together. Herman opened at plus 215 and currently down at plus 190. So, yeah, I guess. I mean, the, the, the odds here should really be fairly even. There's no reason for Cummings to be like a minus 300 favorite on some books. No, absolutely not. He's had a horrible back injury. His last time he competed at light heavyweight was against Ryan Jimmo in MFC, and he lost. Yeah. And uh, Granted, Ryan Jimmo, a lot more of the typical, typical light heavyweight qualities. Yeah. But still, that was, I'm just saying, that was 12 years ago. He's yeah. never, to any, to my knowledge, he's never won a light heavyweight fight. So. Who knows? All right. That brings us to a women's strawweight bout. Jillian Robertson, Piera Rodriguez. And um, this is, it's pretty good booking. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a good step up for Rodriguez, who looks like a pretty legit uh, fighter on the rise. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point in Jillian Robertson's career, she's really kind of been relegated to... Um, G on Kim territory where it's sort of like here is one really straightforward test can you face it Mm -hmm. because and I feel bad for Robertson I'll I'll keep saying this I've said it before but I feel bad for Robertson because she got saddled with way too much hype early in her career yeah she got to the UFC and she didn't get to the UFC with a clean record. She'd already lost to Hannah Goldie and Cynthia Calvillo. Mm-hmm. There was no reason to think that she was just automatically going to be the next big thing. But she was young. And she got to the UFC and there was this whole like, oh, you know, Jillian Robertson, she loves to fight. She's soft-spoken but crazy. The thing Daniel Cormier just gets like mm-hmm. too messant over the Joanne Calderwood <laughs> of the world. Yes. And um, so there was this whole thing with Jillian Robertson, too. Where it's just like, she's soft-spoken, but she's crazy, and she's going to be great. And it's just like, she just needs, like, she, her striking is just bad. And yeah. She's put a lot of work into it. And it's clear she's put a lot of work into it. And it will always be bad because she hates it. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the technical quality of her punching, which often these days starts out looking okay, but it just devolves immediately because every time she sees a punch coming at her, she closes her eyes. Yeah. And she needs like immersion therapy. She needs to like be sent to a boxing gym, like something like King's MMA and just like have her ass absolutely kicked over and over and over until she just sort of stops caring about it. Yeah. But yeah, no, yeah, she, she has obviously made technical strides, but she has never gained the comfort yeah. of a good striker. 
And so thing, even when she starts out all right, things devolve really quickly, you know? Mm-hmm. That Maria Agapova fight became pure desperation after the first couple missed takedowns. Mm-hmm. And she won it because Agapova's utterly incapable of keeping her cool in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but it, you know, it got really hairy really quickly. And, um, so the, it really, it's just a question for Pierre Rodriguez is how, A, can she just not take Robertson down or stay safe if she does take Robertson down? Because Rodriguez does like to wrestle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Robertson's not great off her back. She will attack, but she can get stuck there too and just beat up. And then the other thing is just how well does Pierre Rodriguez defend a shot against somebody who can change an angle on their shot? Because Robertson can do that. Mm-hmm. And if Rodriguez can handle both of those things, then this is a should be a pretty straightforward win for her. And if she can't, then there's a very good chance Robertson submits her. I'm going to pick Rodriguez. I think she's looked controlled in her fights. Um, she, you know, she wants to trade too much to have good defense, but she at least continually, you know, she moves in combination, throws in combination, gets out of the pocket in a hurry. And, you know, the having to change things up to take down all the time isn't the best thing as she moves forward. But I'm not willing to just use that as like the reason I think that she will lose this fight to Robertson. Absolutely. So I will take, uh, you know, because I kind of worried about that with Aldrich too. And Aldrich just pasted Robertson. Yeah. So I'll take Rodriguez. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I would really like to see Robertson turn that corner. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might still happen. I mean, it may just be. Again, just enough experience. She just like stops caring about like she just learns to accept that she's going to get hit. Yeah. But that is the thing that uh, I think a lot of a lot of um, inexperienced strikers have this sort of misconception. It's sort of like the, the it's like people who uh, who like buy a bunch of knives at like a flea market and they're like they like watch like Kali videos yeah like i'm gonna be an expert knife fighter and then like somebody who's who's trained for that for real is like uh yeah like you in a knife fight like you are absolutely going to get cut to shit no matter what happens um that's part of it and they're like no like you do this disarm and you do that a lot of inexperienced strikers seem to have the idea that like they're going to like dance between the raindrops and like good strikers they get hit with glancing shots constantly yeah, there's just no way to avoid it to be in range to land your own. Robertson has she's not she she just has not accepted that yet. It, it may be someday, like it may. I think at some point it may have to come down to the idea that like this is going to sound dumb, but I'm going to say it because I I think it needs to be said. It's never stopped you before. It's never stopped me before. It might it might just get have to get to a point with MMA where like 
people don't, just don't train boxing at all for M- as MMA fighters. And this does sound dumb so far. What are you saying? I'm saying that like boxing is one of the places where you really get that like. I think you, it is limited enough in the scale, in the scope of what kind of fight you're allowed to have that people get that idea of like, oh, like, you know, uh, James Tony and Floyd Mayweather, like you can dance between the raindrops in boxing. There are fighters who can do it. Yeah, but even what I'm saying is even those guys, James Tony is taking glancing punches constantly. True, true. Nonstop. He's rolling shots off and they are skidding off the top of his head. He is on the end of jabs that aren't connecting cleanly, but they are hitting him in the face. Like yeah. that is part of good defense is knowing how to knowing how to take shots well and not take them flush. Yeah, and I'm just saying that in so MMA you have to take shots. You in MMA you're going to have to take a lot more shots, even just flush, for a lot of fighters because it's too wide open. It's too chaotic. You sure. can't really ever just be like oh i'm just gonna not get hit really clean while being aggressive yeah you know for sure but uh yeah at any level and in any sport even in boxing even the best defensive fighters you are going to get hit you cannot be surprised when it happens that cannot be no it's uh, it's an event that like puts a hitch in your process i just i just wonder a little bit if if part of it is like mma fighters idolizing boxers as like the striking they want to have because they see the cleanliness of it yeah and that cleanliness cannot exist really in mma sure you know yeah it it is mma is is definitely crazier more chaotic i still i'm a firm believer in that everyone should every mma fighter should focus specifically on some boxing because purity is um the purity of boxing gives it a level of sophistication that you do not have in many other sports. Yeah, it it really is. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, boxing, it, I, I, I'm i not like actually arguing for this. I'm just thinking of like. No, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. You know, you need MMA striking needs to even be more of that. You need to be prepared for more of a like. Gut level war than yeah. you do in other striking sports because yeah. you have so much more to think about in the heat of battle. Yeah. And, and the real, the ultimate point of this is that whatever the solution is, Jillian Robertson has not found it yet. No. Yeah. But she goes into her fights and no matter how much she's worked in her striking, um, when she gets hit, she looks surprised. She, yeah. She looks shocked. It and, discombobulates her. Yeah. And that is not a good quality to have. (laughs) It makes it very hard to pick her in most fights unless you just think, man, she's got a huge grappling advantage that she can press immediately. Yeah. And I think Rodriguez has the requisite control of distance. She's a pretty sharp, tight counterpuncher and is herself a a solid and well-rounded wrestler. Yeah. So I just don't really see where Robertson's one specialty um, will allow her to get past the sort of just well-roundedness of Rodriguez. Robertson opened at plus 149, is currently down at minus 118. Rodriguez opened at minus 167, is currently at plus 107. So those odds switching all the way up from Rodriguez as a favorite to Rodriguez as an underdog. 
And yeah, I mean, I just like Rodriguez's game a lot better. It's a lot more. It's yeah. don't, It's built on a lot more base level confidence and a lot more base level comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And because of that, everything feels like it connects. Yeah. But there are clean transitions from one phase to another, from one range to another. There's a control of distance, a control of pace. She's calm and she's like in charge when she's winning. And Robertson is only in charge when she's on top of people. She's fantastic at it, you know? Yeah. But, but the whole process of getting there is pretty chaotic and yep. not, not in a way that she's comfortable with. All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Lando Venata, Daniel Zellhuber. And if you remember on the pre on the main card, Vivi, uh, we were talking about ill-advised drops in weight. Hmm. And Lando Venata now back at lightweight no after a brief a, a brief uh dance, a brief dalliance in the featherweight a dalliance. division. That's the word, <laughs> yes. But yes, a hard-fought split decision to Mike Grundy and getting insta-tapped by Charles Jordan apparently was enough to convince him that maybe he didn't need to, maybe his problems were were much bigger than having than cutting an extra, you know, five yeah. percent of his body weight. Yeah, dropped and then insta-tapped by Charles Jordan. Yeah. Um, um, yeah this is certainly a more forgiving matchup than a lot of fights Lena Venata has had throughout his career. Yeah. I I, I kind of like the look of Zell Huber. Um, Even after his last fight? I mean, I what I liked about that is that he sort of figured it out as the fight wore on. Mm-hmm. That, that fight with Trey Ogden. He sort of started to do a bit of what we just watched Bahamundas do. Yeah. To Ogden by round three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he just basically looked like a, a young and inexperienced fighter who um, he he was constantly like generating ideas. But this is a, a trap that a lot of inexperienced fighters fall into. You come up with ideas. You're like, oh, I'm, he's I see him. He's reacting to my jab. He's pawing at it. Now I'm going to set him up for a left hook. I'm going to whip it around that guard. And you have your one idea and then you go and it either works or it doesn't. And then that's the end of the sequence. Yeah. And then you reset. And this was the big problem for him against Ogden as he was super one and done throughout the entire early going of that fight. Probably not used to having to ever really facing a fighter like Ogden, who's just so yeah. profoundly disinterested in engaging. Yeah. You know, and and what Ogden is a guy who is he's very much looking out for those um, like one move threat kind of ideas. And you can set all the traps you want, but unless you, you have to change your mindset in that the, the success of the trap doesn't have to be the trap works. The trap forces a reaction, which then creates another opening. That's kind of how combination striking works, right? Um, I jab to set up a left hook. The guy has to now devote like all of his defensive resources to not getting suckered into that trap. And that's when the right hand that follows my left hook cracks him. Um, you have to spring your traps in layers and, uh, yeah, he did add layers as the fight went on. He, he was putting combinations together better. He was finding body shots. He was countering Ogden's jabs with his own jab and he put a lot more pressure on and started, um, actually like punishing 
Ogden pretty well by like the last couple minutes of that fight. Yeah. I thought it looked like a, it looked like a guy having a learning experience, which I, you know, I can appreciate. I don't know how much that was a product of him having to figure the fight out or whether the, that will be like a, um, a, a change in like the arc of his career. Mm-hmm. I don't know how lasting a, a, that kind of lesson was. And, um, if I'm assuming that he is just the kind of guy who has to find his combinations again over the course of the fight, then I think Venata is probably going to be a lot more capable of being ready to punish his single strikes right from the get-go. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm going with. There's also the fact that Venata has been wrestling people lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a super clear idea of how good Zell Huber's defensive wrestling is. Uh, but he does seem like a guy who gets really, really keyed on, keyed in on his own offensive ideas and is probably just open for a whole host of counters. Yeah, so. this really this really seems to me like a fight where it's really on Venata to just go out there and show yeah. what he has to show yeah. that, you know, oh, I can take this kid down, I can get on top of him, beat him up a little, I can step in and be first, and land a combination that's hard enough that he can't just come back at me with something. Yeah. Uh, it's always been a big problem for Venata, of course, that he he steps in and he will either not be first after initiating the pocket, yeah. after closing the pocket, or he will land and then he won't, you know, he, he won't have dissuaded his opponent at all and they'll just come right back at him. Yeah. Uh, it's always... Yeah. In some ways, I feel like Lando Venata kind of has proved that you can't scale up Dominic Cruz. <laughs> you know, because a lot that, Cruz's game, I think, is a is a lot more fluid and. Well, yeah, that's what I'm trigger. saying. Is that that's what you, why you can't scale it up? Is because the bigger you get, the harder it is to be really fluid. You know, yeah, he, I, yeah, maybe not. Maybe part, I think that might be part of it. I mean, but I just think it's also a Venata thing. Like, yeah, he just has this completely hardwired habit of watching his own work and like overthinking. He has a lot of ideas of what he wants yeah. to do to his opponent. And yeah, you just, there are just a lot of uh, unnecessary like pauses. You know what I realized actually what he really who he really kind of reminds me of who's that Joaquin Buckley Yeah in like you see him and like you see him do something cool and you're like oh man that's amazing and then you see him over a whole fight and you're like oh you just kind of move backwards and forwards don't you and uh-huh. pick like what exciting thing you're going to try this next time and if it doesn't work, man, do you get lit up? Yeah. And that's kind of a lot of Venata. Like you see him out at range and you're like, oh, there's all this motion, all this footwork, all this hopping around, which is where I was thinking of the Dominic Cruz thing. Mm-hmm. And then he steps in and you're like, okay, you just literally stepped right in front of your opponent with your head online. Right. Sort of just like the opponent isn't allowed to hit him back or like it would be a mistake for them to try because he's going to do some super awesome counter. Yeah. And yeah, like there's just no um, like 
security or discipline in Venom's no. game. He is never in control of a fight ever. No. So, yeah. Uh, but th- this is the time where even if you're not going to be in control, even if you're not going to have a lot of discipline, you've just been doing this way more than Zell Huber, who doesn't look like he's been doing this a lot. He doesn't look ready right. for this step up. He looks like he's still learning. He, he looks like he's used to people who are just who just fall apart when he's there because he's yeah. big and rangy. Yeah, and probably most of his opponents coming up were much smaller than him. Yeah. So it's really, yeah, it's on Venata to just, like... Which Venata will be shorter than him, but Venata yeah, he will. Is, a, is dynamic and puts his strikes together. And, yeah, he's going to leave openings, but unless El Huber is willing to pour in strikes on those openings, I don't think it's going to be enough to win in the fight. Yeah. Venata is the underdog here. Wow. wow. That is a surprise. Opened at plus 123 and has basically stayed there. Zellhuber opened at minus 130. And uh, let me see. Like, or, yeah, minus 135 and is currently up at like minus 120. I. Trey Ogden, y'all. Come on. Yeah, I don't really understand that. I, I guess people are really uh, being down on Lando because of the, the Jordan fight. But the Jordan's fight. dangerous. Yeah, like, Jordan is a finisher. And and um, as much as like he has had his sort of ups and downs and like trying to adjust without appearing to know what the issues are, he, he, he looked fine against like Mike Grundy like like losses are Charles Jordan, Bobby Green, Mark Diakesi, Drakkar yeah. Close, David Tamer, and yeah. Tony Ferguson. These are top which, fighters. Which of those fighters are worse than Daniel Zellhuber? Or even on the same level as him. They're all Yeah. Even if only <clears throat> in like Jikesi's uh, case, like in a purely physical way, they're all yeah. better than him. Yeah. So Zell Huber, I know he's got the twelve and one record, but like the step up on the contender series was a decision. Like he did, he barely. That was a really difficult fight. Yeah, and he's yeah, he's just there's not a lot of fundamental connectivity to his game yet. All right, watch he'll detonate Venata and we'll look stupid. <laughs> yeah. That that brings us to a woman's strawweight bout, Bruna Brazil, Denise Gomes. And um, it is too bad that the uh, woman's regional MMA scene is not more rich to give these women more time because both of them have something that they're working on. And then a lot of places where it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Bruna Brazil has a really good high output kicking game that's violent. And the rest of her striking is kind of a mess. And her control of range and distance is kind of a mess. She can be backed up really easily to the cage. Uh, she doesn't have a ground game she trusts at all. Mm-hmm. 
And so her physicality was really, you know, she has some clinch strikes she can throw pretty well. But her, her physicality is really only best used at distance throwing kicks. And then Denise Gomes is trying to build a pressure punching game. And she's got the pressure and she can land some big shots, but the the volume isn't there at all to support it. Yeah. So she tends to just walk herself into wars with opponents. Doesn't really matter how good the opponent is. Doesn't matter what their skills are. It's going to be a war because Gomes is just stepping forward, not throwing anything. She's she's going to get one, I think, with Brazil. Yeah. I got to pick Bruna Brazil in that fight. Yeah. Just because Brazil has the volume and she has the clinch striking. But, you know, it says something for Gomes that she goes through these wars and if, you know, and and she's still there late in fights, Mm -hmm. finding ways to create action and win. She got shit kicked by Milana Dudieva for two rounds of that fight before knocking her out in the third, just because she won't stop pressuring, you know? Yeah. And, and, and in many ways that is, um, the antidote to styles like Brazil's like, yeah, she's super kick heavy with her offense. She has that like long, uh, karateka stance. Mm-hmm. And as you said, like she, she thinks she's slicker than she is. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah. like, I'm just going to dance away from you. Oh, that's the fence against my back. Yep. Um, so yeah, the, the, the thing is, is just that Gomez is, is too like low output. Um, she put, like you said, she like puts the pressure on and then doesn't exactly do a lot with it. Yeah. She's just walking right into your range over and over again. And then she's like, Oh, I'll figure it out once I get there. Yeah. You know, it's a very, it's the Sean of the dead. I'll do it on the day. (laughs) It is the day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You've got to, you've got to pull the zombie impersonation out right now. (laughs) The zombies are all around us. Yeah. So it's a, a, a lot of opportunity in what should be a difficult style matchup. I think there will be more opportunities than there should be for. Yeah. Uh, for Brazil to just like light Gomez up with strikes. Yeah. So I'll take and, and, and the fact that Gomez like, yeah, part of her pressuring toolkit is like stepping into the clinch where she got like instantly out wrestled by Loma Lukbunmi. Mm hmm. Not that Luke Bunmi's clinch wrestling. I mean, she is a a uh, a seasoned Muay Thai fighter. Like that is something Muay Thai fighters have to be good at. Yeah, but still, like she got like double underhooks on Luke Bunmi and just got tossed around. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't look like she's she's she just doesn't have any urgency anywhere. Yeah, that's that's the problem. She's she's got all the all the sort of outward appearance of an urgent aggressive fighter and none of the actual aggression. Yep. So, taking Brazil. But like I say, I, I, I like the basics that both these women are working on. Like, being willing to pressure and being willing to, like, walk in on opponents over and over again. Yeah. That is a great baseline skill and strategy to have. 
Yeah. It just needs to be married with better coaching and more time. And for Bruno Brazil, like having a kick heavy power kicking volume game, like that's a good, that's a good skill set in today's modern UFC, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it just needs more rounding out. It needs a better, a better punching game to go with it. It needs a better wrestling game to go with it, more footwork. But these are things that could be worked on with just more time in regional MMA. Yeah. Odds on the fight. Gomes is the underdog, opened at plus 198, is currently down at plus 147. Bruna Brazil opened at minus 225 and is currently up at minus 164. So those odds are getting closer together, which is fine. They shouldn't be wide, but I do like Brazil as the favorite. Mm-hmm. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Aaron Phillips, Gaston Boyanos. Uh, and Zane? Yeah. I'm going to break with the normal order of things and ask you to speak about this one first because I scouted for this fight. Okay, okay. I scouted Aaron Phillips for Gaston Bolaños' team. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be the less biased party. All right. But I will also have plenty of opportunities to bounce what I think I've learned about Aaron Phillips. I'm probably not going to help you in your case (laughs) at all of being less biased. Yeah. Because Aaron Phillips is a fucking disaster. He is a complete mess. But by the way, can I just say it always (laughs) this is what always happens every it seems every time I get uh, commissioned with a scouting report, the fighter is just a goddamn mess. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, you would think that would be easier. Like, oh, so many things to exploit. It is not. Yeah. Scouting a fighter whose game just doesn't make any goddamn sense at all is really difficult to kind of pin down. Like, what what do you do with this? Like, what? Yeah. Aaron Phillips is a he is a disaster that I'm yeah. glad you said that, because that is sort of the conclusion I came to <laughs> almost immediately. Yeah. Being asked to scout him. He is the. Uh, you set all your settings on random for like <laughs> an RPG, and you get a min max. You like you try you try min max builds, yeah, in an RPG to see what happens. Uh, or in a fighting game that lets you make your own characters. And what happens if you put all of your points in speed and literally nothing else, not strength? Not footwork, not aggression, not power, not technique. What if yeah. you just put it all in speed? And that's Aaron Phillips. He's like this scrawny little bantamweight who can throw out lightning kicks, does a terrible job keeping his distance. Yep. Uh it's a complete non-entity defensively. It's a complete non-entity defensively. His boxing technique is... Um, it's bad. Bad, yeah. It's just no bueno. It's, yeah. it's very light-upable. And then if you... So if you take him down, you a lot of fighters, if they, have, if they want to wrestle him, 
they they just take him down because there's no physicality there and he gets backed up to the cage pretty easily. Yep. And they can just sit on top of him. If opponents have no physicality either, he can hit some takedowns, he can hit some back takes, he can do some grappling himself. He will try and like be aggressive when he has the option. But the option is really easy to take away from him because he's just not physically strong. And that seems like a nightmare for Boyanos. Bolaños. Bolaños, who is your classic kickboxing convert. Yeah. In that he is still trying to learn the idea of defending a takedown while also wanting to hit people as hard as he possibly can. Uh, Very much like when... um, Oh, the Armenian featherweight. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I cannot think of his name. Something with a Z? Oh, uh... The one who fought Danny Gay, but also the other one. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah, I gotta find it now. Uh, <laughs> featherweights. Ah, uh, this is so annoying. Oh, it's Georgian Giga Chikadze. Yeah, oh, and then the that's not who one. I was thinking of. The, the Giga Chikadze, and then the, the 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 Georgian, and then the Armenian one is Melsic Bogdasarian. Yes, Melsic Bogdasarian is probably the better uh, at this point. But like when Giga Chikadze got signed, um, you know, he was out there trying to light people up with single huge power shots and getting taken down by anybody who would touch his legs. And yeah, Bolaños has been—he's been there for a while, but he also hasn't fought for a while. And the last time he did fight, he at least bounced up every time he got taken down. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's—he's he's got the physicality and the raw power. Yeah, he's a great athlete. Great athlete, clearly. And that just seems like enough against Phillips. Yeah, like without the physicality, I don't think Phillips is going to take. Bolaños down and hold him down and if they're going to trade and like it's going to be a speed based kicking and striking game Bolaños is just as fast and is way way more powerful yeah and just way more technical obviously yeah 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 I think you said before that Phillips is not um there's no aggression points in his lineup I would say uh, I get get what you're saying. The way I would frame it is that Phillips is actually like inherently aggressive. Yeah, that's to a f- to a fault. Yeah, his aggression is horribly unstructured. Yeah. Um. So that like Phillips is a guy. Who... What I meant really was that like he won't ever. You you would never see Aaron Phillips march somebody down. No, he and, doesn't like, know how to pressure or yeah, pressure them and that kind of aggression. He doesn't know how to keep somebody boxed in. He is utterly without discipline. Yeah. So, like, Phillips will get on on top of somebody on the ground and will just get, like, if he doesn't get swept, will immediately sacrifice position to go for some super low percentage submission attack. Yeah. Put into a defensive wrestling situation when he should be, like, splitting his stance and digging his underhook. He's like, I'm going to hit a switch. Yeah. Everything is like, I'm going to counter this with my own cool attacking idea. He cannot turn off the idea that he needs to be like attacking and doing cool stuff at all times. Mm -hmm. 
And so he he just it, it, what it creates is this incredibly reckless, uh, reckless and messy fighter. Mm-hmm. And um, it also it occurred to me uh, scouting him because he is a Tim Crater guy mm-hmm. who, of course, is was uh, Dustin Poirier's first coach. Yeah, but that is probably who instilled Dustin Poirier with the dreaded guillotine that he has gone yeah, for. Yeah, the, the so, jump the gilly. <laughs> that because that is absolutely something that Aaron Phillips does in a very similar way to Poirier, mm-hmm. without all the other stuff that all the other uh, complex uh, layers that Poirier hard earned the hard way over the course of a of a long career. Um. Yeah, Phillips it just remains a really, really unstructured, undisciplined, uncontrolled fighter. And uh, and one thing in particular that I am expecting Bolaños to exploit here uh, is that Aaron Phillips is one of the most low-kickable fighters in the sport. Yeah. he It's something in the way he stands. He has, like, a really long, deep stance but where his heels are always on the same line. So not only is the, his calf and the back of his thigh just available in his neutral position, but he doesn't have the width in his stance to actually absorb it. So almost every time he gets hit with a low kick, it like flings him off balance and he has to take the full brunt of it. I know it's a a special case, but his fight with Chris Gutierrez who obviously is going to exploit an opening like that. He just crushed him with low kicks. I don't think you have to be as good as Chris Gutierrez to find those shots. Bolaños is a good low kicker. Yep. I think he's probably going to crush Phillips's legs, um, especially at range. Yeah. It's just hard to imagine Phillips not getting hurt really bad. Yep. Honestly. He's, I mean, say one thing for Phillips. He is insanely scrappy. He he will sure. make as many bad decisions as you could possibly imagine. And he doesn't tire out easily. He doesn't get hurt easily. Most his finish losses are pretty much all submissions. Um, you know, like he's super tough and he will keep making his terrible decisions for as long as you let him. But uh, he just like, there is absolutely zero ability to control the location or pace or terms of a fight uh, in his game. And yeah. that is, I just don't think you can get away with that against anyone who is good. Yeah. And Phillips never has really. Yeah. He's honestly, yeah. really low level regional dudes that he can beat. And then every time he takes a step up, he gets. Yeah. And he hit. goes, he goes tooth and nail with those regional dudes too. Yeah. They're not like easy wins. He's in there like, yeah, getting hurt, getting taken down. Like uh, Ariston Franza nearly knocked him out like more than once. Yeah. Uh, Devante Sewell hit like a billion takedowns on him. Like these are dudes who basically they self-destruct because they are inexperienced or just as unfocused and undisciplined as Phillips. Uh, yeah. You got to pick Bolaños. See uh, odds for the fight. Phillips opened at plus one forty eight. Got up as high as plus one seventy three. Currently about plus one sixty. Honestly, it should be much wider than that. Yeah, Bolaños opened at minus one sixty six. Is currently down at minus one eighty. And yeah, like I just this is a fight for me where I, I get that Bolaños is you know he's had his losses. He's got gaps in his game, mm-hmm. but Phillips is a, the kind of fighter that like. 
I would really be any any step up that he wins would be a very big surprise. Yeah. In his career. Yeah. He is not a quadruple A fighter. He is a triple A fighter. Yeah. He's a fighter who only really can thrive on a low end regional scene. Yes. And again, even thriving there is is conditional. It's yeah. He, he he's not he can't he he's, he doesn't dominate those guys the way that he's like, just not, he's he's inherently not a strong person. Like you can just see it yeah. when he's out there. It, it's just not. There is not no natural strength there. Yeah, his his body is not muscled. <laughs> All right, that brings us to a woman's bantamweight fight. Jocelyn Edwards, Lucy Pudilova. And uh, this will be, be fun. This will be a fun scrap. Yeah. They, uh, they, 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 they somehow made a really compelling matchup out of these two very dysfunctional fighters. And one of my other favorite kinds of matchups for MMA in particular, which is people who are very, very used to being insulated by their size. Yeah, yeah, having to fight somebody else who has the exact same weakness, and then they find out they can both hit each other at the same time. In you know, like only in MMA does this kind of uh, physical matchup usually yield incredibly violent fights. <laughs> so yeah, they're gonna punch each other a lot. Well, you let me go first on Phillips Bonios. Why don't you? Okay. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, we, we've talked about Pudilova. Did she actually make her return to the UFC? Yeah, she, she did. did. She did. And Against uh, Yan Wu. Yeah. A very winnable uh, fight, and she won it. Yeah, and she won it. She looked good. We, we, we talked before about her sort of... Um, she has been trying to become technical. Yeah. it's. I'm still not actually all that happy about it, but it's better than it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she's in the middle of a learning process. Yeah. Um, I'm not ready to write her off yet. It's certainly the game that she used to have was just not going to be reliable at a top level. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It, it was, it was fun and it was hyper aggressive. Um, but even then it like, wasn't getting her a bunch of wins against actually good opponents. She had no technique. She never had technique. I just hate yeah. to see aggression be the thing that gets sacrificed in the name of technique. Yeah. But I think she's in the process of regaining that. Yeah. Uh, unlike somebody like Pedro Munoz, who like waited way too long to learn technique um, to try to tighten up his game. Uh, I thought she looked all right against Yanan Wu. I thought yeah. she um, she looked more measured, but she was certainly pressuring. She was certainly putting out better output than I'd seen in some of her other post capital T technical fights. Um, I think she's getting there. Yeah. And yeah, before she was hyper aggressive, but like she couldn't even cut off the cage. She just followed people around like she had no ability to set anything up. It was just like she, she would only win if her opponent just completely broke under the rawest form of pressure there is. Mm -hmm. Just walking forward. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I have I still have some hopes for Pudilova. Uh, I think she has she has the potential to be like an actually pretty good fighter. She's she's physically imposing. She's becoming more well-rounded. Uh, she's not leaving quite so many openings. She's gaining the ability to 
a thing that keeps coming up, you know, to control a fight. Yeah. Uh, and control herself in the process. I like that. And uh, against Jocelyn Edwards, she is just going to be against somebody who is going to be able to touch her, but will also be like uh, be able to touch her at a range where uh, Yanan Wu could not. Mm-hmm. But also somebody who is basically as much of a technical mess as Pudilova herself used to be. Very true. Um, but Edwards is powerful. Yeah, she's got a level of physicality that yes, Pudilova has yet to ever prove that she can beat. Yeah, a- Edwards is is powerful. Um, she's she's just really unstructured, mm-hmm. uh, and puts herself in some really bad positions, just reaching for shots that aren't quite there, overextends herself. She's one of like many MMA fighters. She will like uh, gain like an early advantage sometimes. Like uh, sometimes she'll get the idea to low kick somebody. She'll be chopping at their legs and then it just vanishes. Yeah, half halfway through the fight. Um, she is also like pa- she she is very pathological in her aggression. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edwards is a fighter who absolutely desperately needs to get it back when somebody lands cleanly on her. She also has a lot of trouble maintaining range, too. If she decides that she needs to yeah, attack, she exactly, will end yeah. up in the clinch. Yeah, because she just lurches forward after people. Um, but, you know, that can be a both a good and a bad thing, that she her, her desperate need to get it back means that clever fighters can just walk her into things. It also means that a lot of people who sort of get comfortable like maintaining an advantage on her, get really surprised when she just tears after them and suddenly doesn't care about getting hit because she's just desperate to put hands on you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to go with Pudilova. I like a, a newly controlled fighter. I like a fighter who relies on uh, her reach in like an intelligent way, i.e. jabbing. Um, but Pudilova still looks a little awkward. and. Mm-hmm. And she still looks a little unconfident about, yeah, like going after people and just putting putting the screws to them. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I think that this is a case where um, I, I expect her to to maybe land the the cleaner shots early, and and the fight to get a little chaotic as a result because Edwards is going to try to pay her back for it. I think there's a chance that we see Pudilova just sort of drawn into her old ways a bit here. Mm-hmm. She hasn't been actively pursuing that, but you got to assume that she's still very scrappy. And if you make her fight, she will fight with you. I think she's got enough experience in just crazy chaotic fights to not at least get put off by that. So, I I'm going to take Edwards. I think yeah. that the, I have yet to see Poodle over really prove that she can handle physical pushback very well and, and turn that into a win. You know, she's uh, all of her wins so far have been against the lowest levels of physical athletes she's faced. Yeah. Or at least especially lately. Um, and Edwards is she's tough and she's strong. I think she's just going to be able to land the bigger shots. It'll be close because she won't do enough work continually to stay ahead. But I think she'll land the more damaging shots and that Pudilova won't doesn't have the aggression keyed in quite so well as she used to anymore to just make sure that she takes over the round. Yeah, could be. I mean, if she gets put off of her pressure, she's going to be in a much more difficult fight. 
Yeah. Edwards so. Edwards tends to fall apart mechanically under pressure. She does. Um, but she will get really aggressive whenever that happens. Um, I, I will also add though that um Pudilova, like hits takedowns. It's true. She's Edwards the, is a dog shit wrestler. <laughs> she is very bad at it. I will say there's the uh she does hit takedowns that could win her the fight, although she did against Wu Yanan. It was notable that she looked on the ground, she just was absolutely like, Okay, I need to hold her in place. I don't really have any other plan. Like <laughs> her ground game was not evolved to the point where it's like, oh, I can hold you and work towards a submission or and start doing damage. It was just I'm on top. I've got you down. I just need to hold on now. Yeah. So I mean, I, I don't think that is a terrible idea against Edwards. Edwards yeah, is very amateurish uh, responses to being held on her back. She's no, one of these people who like gets mounted and spends the whole time like trying to hook her legs over your head. Yeah. No, so I, just, I I I get it. I'm I'm just gonna go with Edwards on the gut feeling of Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. All right. Uh she's physical. Uh, yep. Yeah. Odds on the fight. Edwards is the underdog here, opened at plus one fifty two, currently down at plus one seventeen. So his odds have been getting shorter. Pudelov opened at minus one seventy one for God knows what reason. And is currently <laughs> at minus one thirty. There's no reason that either of these women should be a big favorite or big underdog in this kind of fight. No, those odds sound fine to me. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. The Bloody Elbow Podcast Network is moving. That's right, we're moving from SoundCloud and YouTube to Substack. It will still be available through your current iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher subscriptions, but the main home of the Bloody Elbow Podcast Network will now be on Substack. While most of our audio content will remain free, we'll be asking listeners to please get a paid subscription to support the shows which are now ad-free. Please give us your email and we'll send you notices and summaries of every new episode. Become a paid subscriber and get bonus segments only available to those who've pledged their support. Sign up at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com today. Mm-hmm.